This is an ABC podcast. You know when you all get together at a family event and everyone falls straight back into the role they had as kids? You might be the responsible one, or the jester, or the peacemaker. But did you ever stop to think that your family dynamic might also be playing out for you at work, in how you work in a team, or how you lead? Professor Deborah Ancona calls these our family ghosts, and she spots them often, even at the highest levels. There was one CEO who came in and he wanted to work on becoming more empathetic. And the reason for that was he was a really good CEO. His company had done extremely well, but he was a task leader. He knew how to get everybody organized. He was very strategic. He was also a great sense maker. So he knew how to read the environment and what was going on in a meeting and what was going on in the market. But he was not so good at interpersonal relationships. And what the aha moment for him was that this really stemmed from his childhood. His, his father was an alcoholic. And so the sense making came because he had to be really good at detecting what was going on at home when he got home because he had to figure out, well, is my father on the warpath? Is he hitting people or is he calm? Where is he? What's going on? So that ability to sense what's in the room is something that was a good ghost for him. Also, the way in which he coped with this uncertainty and this violence was to study really hard, was to organize his work, was to be very task-oriented and organized. So again, those are the good ghosts that he brought to the CEO role. But for him, interpersonal relationships were problematic. His father, he could set off. His mother, whenever he would ask his mother how she was doing or try to protect her, uh, she would either fall apart and start crying and, and saying how horrible life was, or she'd say, leave me alone, you're just interfering. So he was scared that if he opened up to people, they would either, like his mother, talk about all the problems that they had and he would not be able to handle them, or they would just shut him down. And that was a big aha for him. For him, it was, oh my goodness, that's what's playing out here. And so he could then start making small steps in being empathetic, realizing that I told my students this, we are not prisoners of childhood. Yes, those things have us. They are binding constraints to how we act. But if we can make them more visible, if we can see what they are, and if we can see that it's possible to act in different ways, we don't have to replay the patterns of childhood that we used to play, then we can move on. Okay, that might sound simple, but it isn't. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, how to recognise the family ghosts that might be messing with your career, and how to ghost bust them. Deborah is the Sealy Distinguished Professor of Management at MIT's Sloan School of Management. She's also the youngest child. Deborah, how did you come up with the idea of family relationships affecting the kind of leaders we become? Well, I was putting together a class on leadership signatures. That's what I teach, identifying your own unique way of leading and then thinking about how you can further develop as a leader. And I found out that some people got really, really stuck 
when they were trying to change some of their behaviors, but other things were very, very easy. And we found that when you started digging into people's family systems, they seemed to be able to understand some of the reasons that they were stuck. And by thinking about their family dynamics, they were able to get unstuck. For example, uh, one of the women, uh, really savvy, incredible entrepreneur who was in the executive MBA program, and she was about to, to launch her new startup. Uh, she had been in a large bureaucratic company for many years, and then she created this algorithm to help companies to better match employers and employees. So they had worked very hard, all the students and the members of this company, on this algorithm. It was working. They were ready to go out to the VCs and start getting customers, and she absolutely couldn't do it. And the way that we helped her kind of unlock the way that she was stuck was that she saw that she was replicating some of the family patterns that she had when she was young. So she found out that she was nervous because she thought that if she stepped forward, she would be undermining some of her male colleagues. And so that was a replication of a family dynamic that she had in her own family system. And you're saying that sometimes our childhood is not left in childhood, that it's playing out at work. It is totally playing out at work. There's this thing that psychologists talk about, which is transference. And transference is just that attitudes and behaviors that were formed early in our life get played out again when there are similar circumstances in our current life. That's why we talk about ghosts in the executive suite. We take the ghosts from the past and bring them to the future. So ghosts are kind of the fundamental attitudes and behaviors that evolved from the family dynamics of our childhood and that follow us into the present so that this particular woman, Sarah, uh, her ghosts were those of her brother. Her brother had had a difficult time in the family. She was labeled the good kid, and he was the troublemaker. He had had a difficult time doing well in school and following up on, on family values and so on. And so the better that she did, the harder it was for him, and he eventually had to leave the family. And so taking this a step further then and maybe making it a bit personal, Deborah, what are your ghosts then? My ghosts? Do I have any ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all have ghosts. Um, in my family, uh, there were actually a lot of conflicts in my family um, across different groups, my parents and my brother, and I was the peacemaker. I, I was always trying to find ways to keep everybody happy. And so my ghosts from that time, the good ones are that I'm really good at pulling groups together and handling conflicts uh, among colleagues and people in the workplace. What's not so good is that I sometimes am so focused on helping other people to meet their needs and handle their conflicts that I'm less apt to think about and work on my own agenda. Deborah, why is it so important we identify and understand them? Well, 
I think that the reason that it's so important, first of all, is that it helps executives understand more about who they are as leaders and how they came to be that way. Uh, I often, when I'm talking about ghosts, people have an aha moment. Oh, that's why this is the way it is. That's why this is so difficult to do. It it's, relates to something in my past. And so that's that kind of discovery mode. Also, I think that when executives understand their ghosts, they have a deeper appreciation for what's important to change. What what are these major things that are getting in the way that are, are perhaps deep and old? And it also helps executives understand what changes will be easier and what changes will be harder. Um, perhaps... The last thing as I think about it is that when you have this model of ghosts in your mind, you have an awareness sometimes that behind the smart, kind of in control, confident outside that you see all around you and the people that you're working with in there lurks uh, perhaps some insecurities, some trauma, some baked in assumptions or expectations uh, that that come from an earlier point in time and and may not be completely rational. So it helps us to have a little bit of empathy for other people. I'm Rebecca Donaldson and I head up HR for the Qantas Group. So I am an only child And I was a little bit of a surprise to my very young parents. They were very curious. They were always challenging the status quo. It was the 70s. I guess they were hippies, but they were very well accomplished. They never bragged about that. And I never understood how accomplished they were. And in fact, I'm only sort of learning that now as an adult. So I guess what I take from that is regardless of the roles I've had and when I look retrospectively, I probably achieved quite a bit at a young age. I was not conscious of that and I work really hard to always maintain humility. And by that I mean I take a really egalitarian approach to leadership and I really enjoy shared ideas and I have a deep intellectual curiosity that was encouraged by my parents, as is, I guess, shaking up the status quo. I've always chosen to work in either human resources and law and I think that comes from what I was taught by my parents. Obviously, you don't want to overanalyze your team and your colleagues, but I think we all bring a bit of our past to work. And I think that plays out in our everyday at work, not consciously, but how we, um, for example, in a team dynamic or a meeting, part of how we show up is, you know, our inherent personality, introverted, extroverted, all of those various things, but also just where we've been in a family. And I think, like me, there'll be people that are really sensitive to particular types of behaviours or particular words or languages that are used because it triggers something from them in the past. I know that people who have suffered horrendously traumatic things in the past often observe what might be going on for someone else in their personal life and are attuned to it that the rest of us might miss. And I find that really useful. So they might not sort of call it out that specifically, but we'll just be that little bit more open to or perceptive about what might be going on in someone else's life if they've experienced a a similar thing. 
I think also a huge part of um, who we are in terms of our confidence and self-esteem comes from our past. It, it's no surprise that psychologists go to you, your past first, right, when they're trying to work out any issues that you know people might be dealing with because we are really shaped at those early days. You're listening to This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong, today uncovering the family ghosts of the past that play out in our work lives today. With me is Professor Deborah Ancona from MIT. Deborah, you say that there are some fundamental things we need to understand about the family we grew up in. Let's talk about core values and beliefs. Each family has a unique character uh, that represents the core values and beliefs of the family. Kind of the idea of this is what we stand for. This is how we operate. This is what you should. I like to think of them as shoulds. These are the things you should do in order to be a good person. Uh, So when I'm teaching this and I say, well, what are some of your family values? It might be education is the most important thing. Uh, It's what gets you ahead in life or be caring and considerate of others or never let them see you sweat. So those are some examples of, of values and beliefs that families kind of carry with them. And with Sarah, the example and case study we were using, what would her core values and beliefs be? Sure. So she came from a family uh, where the values and beliefs were around working hard, doing well. The, the importance of really, really accomplishing things at a high level was incredibly important. But there was also a value of, but girls should not do better than boys. So it was the males of the family that were supposed to uh, succeed. And I guess the other core value was to be respectful of parents. Now let's go to roles. Tell me about this one. Sure. Um, So roles are just um, a particular way that you are in the family. So a way that you particularly as an individual behave in a family. And it might be determined by your personality. It might be determined by how others in the family are. Uh, So familiar kinds of roles are the jester. There's someone in the family who's always having a good time or playing practical jokes or uh, the troublemaker or the nerd. In my family, we have a number of (laughs) nerds in the family. Um, You sometimes have parents talk about the good one or the bad one. So back with Sarah, she was the good daughter. She was um, the creative tech doer. Uh, She met the demands of her family, her parents, and her brother was the problem child. He couldn't excel. He was later the troublemaker and the rebel. Uh, So those are all roles that she took on and that he took on. She was also the peacemaker, uh, a little bit like I like I am, uh, where when there was a lot of conflict in the family, she would try to bring the different parties together. And then, again, the importance of these things is not just to say, okay, this is what my role was, but really to then think about, well, how does that impact me today? Do I play the same roles at work as I did when I was a child? I am Anetta Pizag. I'm a workplace strategist, work style coach and author, and I'm the youngest of two sisters. I grew up in Hungary, so both of my parents were Hungarian. 
my family beliefs and values were that intellect was more important than social skills. The role I had in my family is I was the high achiever and everybody around me had high standards, but I was highly competitive and that was really my life. At the beginning of my career, that every project that I was involved in, when I saw any area that could have been improved, I couldn't keep my mouth shut to tell everybody around me how this could be done better. And being a young Eastern European graduate with a funny accent, telling the boss how to do his job better, that didn't really go down too well. It took me many years to recognize how important social skills are in my career and in fact in any careers. And equally it took me many years to start out of that skills to be able to build fruitful work relationships and to communicate effectively to get my ideas across. One of the ghosts from my past that I'm still dealing with is the principle that honesty within the family is absolutely non-negotiable. And uh, I actually feel, today I feel pain when I'm put in a situation that's political or I need to keep up pretenses or when I need to tell something that's not the complete truth. And I always try to be mindful and considerate of other people's feelings. And after I learned social skills, I received the feedback that I'm actually a very, very careful communicator. But when I'm in a political situation, when I need to think about motives and agenda and what to say and what to, not to say and how to say it, I'm feeling very challenged. I feel like a fish out of water. So when we are now we're identifying our ghosts, what's the next step? So your next step after you identify your ghosts is to, to look at them, to, to really digest and go through all of these questions. Okay, what are the values and beliefs and how do they play out for me? What are the shoulds that stay in my brain? What are the ones that have changed? Which are the ones that help? Which are the ones that don't? So go through that kind of analysis uh, and then say, okay, now that I've thought about that, what is one thing that I would change if I could? One thing that I think would make me a better leader or one thing that I think would help me to get the next job that I want, but that is getting in the way of me being able to do that. And once you have that goal, we try to analyze, well, why is it so difficult for you to reach that goal? And let's say part of what you want to do, I have a lot of my students want to listen more. And so it's important. I have to listen more. I've gotten a lot of feedback. I have to listen more. And that's my goal. But then you have to examine the goal. Well, okay, I'm scared to listen more because in my family, I was the one who was the innovator. I was the one who was out there. And that's what I do in my company. I'm the innovator. Everybody wants me on their team. <laughs> Everybody thinks that I have great ideas. That's how I've come up the organization. And so I'm worried that if I'm a better listener, then I, I won't be asked anymore. No one's going to want me on their team. I won't be the innovator. I won't be the star performer. And so there are all these fears. And so part of what you do then is 
have a kind of a reframe. Okay, it doesn't mean that you're going to go from being the innovator to being a nothing. Why don't you reframe it? You're going to be the innovator who also listens. You're going to be the innovator who everybody wants, but who also is able to build on the ideas of others. You're the innovator and the creative one who builds a team and gets everybody to participate. So you reframe what the goal is in a way that doesn't set off the negative ghosts, that doesn't set off all the fears that you have. Now, you write about the provisional self. I find this absolutely fascinating. Can you explain what it is and how we can use it to overcome our ghosts? The way we think about it uh, in, in terms of family ghosts is that once you've identified your family ghosts, And that in and of itself brings a lot of aha moments. Uh, But then from that, you come to understand, well, what's really perhaps getting in the way of me succeeding? Is it something that has a part in the past? In which case, you understand the dynamic, you choose, well, well, what is something about yourself that you want to change? And then you try to create what Herminia Ibarra calls a provisional self. That is, a provisional self is a new self that you want to create that takes into account the improvement goal that you have for yourself. So, uh, for example, I had one woman who, great executive, doing really well in her career, uh, did very well with her subordinates, really well with her peers, even her boss. But when she got into the senior executive meeting, she could not disagree with anyone. In fact, she had a hard time even speaking because in her family, you paid attention to authority and you did not question what authority told you. And so she just she would sit in those meetings and and feel like she wanted to say something and she couldn't. So she created a provisional self. And what you do, the the kind of what's the recipe for a, a provisional self is that you have to find a bunch of role models who are able to do what you are not able to do and are able to do it without having any of the problems that you have doing it. So for this particular woman, it was women in particular who had no problems speaking up to men in high-level meetings. And um, she, I forgot the name of the woman. There was one executive, I'm going to call her Camilla, um, who she followed. She's so good. She just says what she means. And what you have to do across all the role models is not just watch, but get a sense of all the different things they do. You want to think about... um, I'm going to take, if you think of a new outfit, I'm going to take the skirt from someone and the shirt from someone else. So she took from Camilla the tone, the fact that when Camilla spoke up, she used a lot of data and she was very calm and rational. And she also looked at Christine Lagarde. A lot of women seem to like Christine Lagarde, uh, who's incredibly poised and doesn't get flustered with anything (laughs) and just looks people in the eye. And Christine Lagarde is the president of the European Central Bank and a well-known leading figure. And so when she was at one meeting, she totally disagreed with what a senior level leader was saying. And she just was clamping up and not saying anything. And then she said, ah. I need to take out my provisional self and it's going to be a piece of Camilla and a piece of Christine (laughs) and I'm going to channel them right now. And she just 
raised her hand and said, this is what I think, and this is why I think it. She was calm. She used data. She was considered. She looked the guy right in the eye. She just took all those things that she had pulled from the different role models that she had been studying, and she was incredibly successful. In fact, people called her and said, wow, that was quite uh, a change for you in the meeting. I totally agree with you. How good is that? That was second-born Professor Deborah Ancona from MIT. And you may have noticed only women were fessing up to having ghosts in this episode. We tried really hard, but we couldn't get a single bloke to talk about them. Next time on This Working Life, hybrid work. How are you coping? Are you finding it hard to focus? If you are, you're not alone. We'll be talking about our attention spans and how the pandemic has impacted them and how where we work can affect our ability to focus, whether we're working from home or back in the office. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle, youngest of five who will not be ignored or take no for an answer. I'm Lisa Leong, eldest of two, of course. And until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.